Hi, and welcome to Second Rate Film School. I'm Andrew. I'm Jake. And I'm Jacob. All right, today on Second Rate Film School, um, we're starting our next theme month. Since it is now late July, early August, we're doing Stephen Summers movies. But um, as the sole reason why we're doing this, we're going to eventually do The Mummy Returns and Van Helsing as well. So we're doing all these movies just because of a pun name. I hope you enjoy. Um, so our first movie is 1999's The Mummy. And we're actually going to be doing this a little differently than usual. We're just going to be doing a discussion because all three of us are currently spread around the country right now. And um, we can't actually all watch the movie at the same time because this movie is surprisingly difficult to stream which is a shame. So we're just going to be giving you our general discussions about it. So I guess let's begin. Um, this personally is one of my favorite movies. I love it. Just the swashbuckling, um, cheesy action of this movie. I think the entire cast is great. I think the motives and like the storyline is great. I think it's, you know, the perfect, you know, summer action movie. And back when those were like really unique and, you know, we can discuss more as we get into the sequel and Van Helsing, you know, Stephen Summers style, and then compare these with um, the various other mummy movies as well. And I think it's a very unique portrayal of the mummy franchise or the horror movies in general. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's one of my favorites too. Probably one of the better action blockbusters of the nineties, I think. And looking back on it today, I was I was kind of realizing just how novel the idea was, just the concept of merging this horror idea with an action adventure sort of feel, like a Raiders of the Lost Ark combination. And I thought, I think that's, I mean, you see, it's pretty commonplace today, but back then in like the late 90s, that was very, very unique. Um, I think that definitely comes from Stephen Sommers because as a kid, I think he, he, he saw the original Mummy and um, he, he always wanted to do an update of it, but this was yeah. just a pretty inspired idea. I think he described it as like Jason and the Argonauts and Raiders of the Lost Ark, where, like, where the villain gives the hero a very tough time. And he yeah. said he even didn't know if it would be, it wasn't so much a horror movie because there was humor in it and some of the actors didn't, I think Brendan Fraser said he didn't know what kind of movie they were making for sure. He didn't know if it was going to be an action movie or a horror movie or a romance movie. So I th but I think it's a testament to Summers and, and his vision because it came out in a very cohesive, satisfying way. I think it's a better Indiana Jones movie than probably the fourth Indiana Jones film. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And that's from coming from someone who loves the fourth Indiana Jones movie. What's not to love? I agree. Um, <laughs> I agree. So I have I have a bit of a more controversial opinion on. The All right, movie. we're muting Jacob right now. I uh, I like this movie. I don't love this movie, but I like it. Um, I've seen it. So I've seen it twice now. I've actually only watched it. I think was when we were doing uh, the ICLA program, I think I watched it for the first time. And then I watched it with you guys in preparation for this. Um, I like it. I think the reason why it's never fully connected with me as much is because I always wanted it to be a little bit scarier this makes any sense it's essentially a very straightforward indiana jones pastiche sort of thing which is cool and it does it very well but for something that's kind of predicated on a horror subject you know horror monster i always wanted them to push the horror elements a little bit more but it really 
it sort of grounds itself in action adventure pretty strongly and is a lot more lighthearted than uh than I would like it to be. And I think that was that was what always kept me from really loving it. Yeah, That's fair I enough. I know originally when they were developing the film throughout the 90s, Clive Barker was going to do it and he had a he had a much darker pitch. I think this was when they were they wanted to do something for like 15 million or so a lot lower budget. Clive Barker had like a darker pitch. I think uh Imhotep work, worked as like a as a museum curator and uh it seemed a little bit more like a Hellraiser to me. And you know what? That's that sounds cool. Um, but I'm o- I'm okay with it being like an action adventure film. But I wish that they had pushed those horror elements a little further because that's sort of what makes this character and this franchise unique. Is that it's a horror character, sort of in this action adventure story. But it it plays it sort of like a straightforward adventure villain for me. And I always wish the emphasis. There's obviously like scary elements with like the uh, the Beatles and how he looks monstrous when he first appears. But I always wish they pushed that a little bit more and did something a, a little bit scarier with it. I can agree with that. Um, I think this though did what the. Um what was it, 2016, 2017, the Tom Cruise Dark Universe mummy tried doing, because I think that's a complaint a lot of people had as well, where it wasn't scary that they were going more action movie. Um, I think- (laughs) You know, it's funny. Uh, I'm thinking of it because the new version of the mummy with Tom Cruise shares some similarities with the classic 1980s movie Life Force, What's weird is I recently rewatched Life Force and I was thinking like, not, not that I wanted the mummy to be like that movie, but I was thinking how that was like kind of at the end, like sort of a big action film when it gets to the end, but predicated around like a really scary subject. And I almost was like, I almost kind of wish the mummy was a little bit closer to that tonally. Not, not again, Life Force isn't a great movie. The mummy's a better movie than Life Force. But I, I was sort of like, it would be cooler if they predicated it more around a, a horror, a stronger horror element like that. I think that would have fit better with the subject of the movie. Well, I think it's interesting. This is when we can start diving into the, um, I mean, I did a little bit with the Tom Cruise version, but um, the different interpretations of the mummy, um, specifically the universal versions over the years. The original um, Boris Karloff version from the early 30s is actually very interesting because it's not really a horror movie in the classical sense compared to the other um, universal movies from the time and even the, it's uh, the later sequels of the, the mummy because essentially for you know, those who haven't seen it you know he's the mummy at the very beginning there's some pretty horrifying images of you know people being killed that they um, had to censor for re-releases because it was the 30s of people getting impaled and whatnot and then you know when he comes back you know, after that iconic opening scene of where, you know, he wakes up, he's resurrected and goes off, you know, Boris Karloff is almost just like a schemer. You know, he's kind of almost like a um, Charles Manson, almost like, you know, having other people doing the killing for him through possessing people and all that. Yes. I just did compare Boris Karloff to Charles Manson, Jacob. That's the pull quote. Um, (laughs) Mummy. The mummy is like Charles. It's like Charles Manson. (laughs) Boris Karloff mummy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like he's more of a evil genius. So it's interesting because I don't consider that. Like, I mean, yeah, I don't look at any of the original Universal monster movies from the 30s anymore and be like scared. Like, I know that's a thing from like 
the um, greatest generation and whatever the hell um, the generation before them were terrified of that. But, you know, it's interesting how from Universal's inception of the mummy, he, they weren't really sure what to do with him. You know, in the sequels, it's actually interesting that in all the sequels Universal made, Emotep is not a um, like mummy anymore. It's a different mummy yeah. named Karis. And they've then like they tried changing course direction. And that could be due to yeah, like the late it being in the later cycle when they wanted to make, make bigger monsters. And he's almost like a slasher. He's a slow moving, he's kind of like almost a proto Michael Myers or Jason, just moves very slowly, somehow always catches up with the people he's chasing and does have a lot more horror elements. So it's interesting that, you know, Summers took the interpretation and inspiration from the probably what could be called the driest of the mummy movies they made. I don't get it. I meant driest, like just like in terms of lack of horror. That was Oh, like, I think you're making like a sand oh, joke. Yeah, that, yeah, that oh. wasn't a joke. Yeah, that, oh, that, oh, I, I, was being, I was being quite liberal with it. <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought we had a good uh, comedic pause there for... Oh, for no, a little bit. No. Okay. <laughs> that's uh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it, it's like you said, Jake. That's like the inspired part of the movie is doing it as an action adventure film instead of just doing a straight up horror film, and it kind of yeah. helped it have its own identity too. Yeah, yeah. See, that's why I'm uh, I'm I'm more lenient towards. I, I think Jake even make a good point about it not leaning towards the horror elements, but I I think the mummy concept does lend itself to the more action adventure aspect given just the nature of the story it's, it's you know there's an art it's archaeological oh, absolutely it's dealing in ancient times so yeah so yeah absolutely no, i just wish they they grounded it more in more horror elements i think that would have helped it be even more unique unto itself mm -hmm. yeah sure yeah. um I'm trying to think what else um you know who's really good in this movie Brandon Fraser. <laughs> he, I mean, I was rewatching it today to um, get like a little bit more like as what we watched it recently. This was you know, like a month and a half ago because we didn't think we were going to um, be delayed this long at recording. So I'm like watching it again to like really get reacquainted. He, yeah, he's very charming. I think he's the perfect type of um, actor giving the perfect type of performance and considering he didn't even know what the hell type of movie they were making, you know, really did a great job at um, doing the character. Well, yeah, he, he fits the vision of the movie perfectly takes it seriously, but not too seriously. It's there's still humor in it and everything. Yeah. He, he was like, uh, yeah, very earnest, very humorous performance, not to just repeat the exact same thing that you just said, Jake. Um, very uh yeah he's very charismatic he's got a lot of energy um and he makes you really believe in the material also not taking it totally seriously yeah i mean i, I always use the example of like when they fir he first comes to face to face with the mummy he does a literal double take goes whoa <laughs> and then like when the mummy screams he screams back and then fires at it with a shotgun <laughs> like that is as a child watching it like because you know i don't know how you were when you saw it, jake and jacob you were like you know, 21, 22 at the time. So like very different times. I saw this when I was like six. It was the greatest movie ever made as far as I was concerned. Um, I saw it when I was seven or so. I, I remember wanting to see it, but I never did until I was 21. I don't know if it's the greatest movie ever made. The Mummy Returns might be the greatest movie ever made. We'll get but I guess later. we're going to discuss that at another point. 
But uh, Brendan Fraser, I mean, I think he's just, I think he's a very underrated actor in general because uh, he's, yeah. he's been good in not just like these blockbuster type films, but he's done like dramatic roles very well too. He's got more range than he's given credit for. When he yeah. actually um, recently, a few years ago, was in um, History Channel, did a mini series called Texas Rising. You know, and it had like a really decent cast. It had him in it, um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who people now know from The Walking Dead as Negan, had Bill Paxton, you know, shortly before his death. Um, and it was a very well done series about the founding of Texas, you know, picks up with the Alamo and then goes into the rest that, you know, your average uh, person doesn't know. And Brendan Fraser plays a real life figure. Um, he was like a kid who um, like family was like, killed crossing west and then was taken in by like a native american tribe so he's like decked out in like native american wardrobe you know talks like you know them because that's all he knew because he was a young kid and like you know he plays a stoic you know badass very well and it's like when i described it to someone it's like oh yeah brendan fraser plays a native american warrior you know like so like people are like oh that sounds like the dumbest thing ever but like he pulls it off it sounds like canceled (laughs) Yeah, well, and, that, and that's the thing. It's like he's not supposed to actually be Native American. He was just taken in by the culture. But um, he does it very well, and it's a very dramatic role. It's like it's a lot of silent acting on his part. He doesn't talk a lot. He doesn't have a lot of lines. It's just like a very good performance by him. Well, it, it's kind of a – because I know other actors were considered for the part. I think Kurt Russell was considered. Yeah. And Bruce like, Campbell was. also was. Yeah, ironically, Brad, I mean, the, the usual names of the, of the hottest names of the time and everything, I'm sure, like when the names were on, the, you know, with the usual list, but I think Brendan Fraser was. <laughs> Did you, you see that interview Brendan Fraser gave when the new mummy came out and he's yeah. like talking about like, oh, uh, yeah, you know, it's back then, you know, I think kids now want to see like the kids of today want to see like Tom Cruise or something like that. That's funny because it's like Tom Cruise is older than you, Brendan Fraser. <laughs> No. Very nice guy. Well, I think I heard Leo DiCaprio. Now, I saw it on some trivia. I don't know how true this is, but apparently Leo loved the script and wanted to play Rick, but he was caught up filming the beach, so he couldn't commit to it. Yeah, I've heard that too. Now, I would love to think that's true, just the fact that Leo loved the mummy script and wanted to be in it. That, that's why I would think that it's true. But on the other hand... Oh, oh you, sorry, you go first. Oh, well, on the other hand... I think he could have handled it well. I think he could have pulled it off, Leo. But he's a little too young, and he doesn't quite fit that mold, I think, that they were going for. Yeah, I don't think young Leo. I think now now Leonardo could do it. Like, if they um, they wanted to try and reboot the Dark Universe again, I think he could do it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm just picturing him, like, only, like, a year and a half removed from Titanic. I can, I can, and, you know, that gif from the beach that everyone's seen of, like, him walking, like, you know, in a video game or whatever the fuck that movie is about. You know, I, I can't imagine him doing this. You know, it really is a testament to, you know, Brendan Fraser. And I, you hear it all the time when you hear these alternate casting choices. You know, people always say, oh, I can't see anyone, but, you know, fill an actor who actually did it. It's like, you know, I think a lot of time, you can't see any other actor except the one that ended up being cast just because you know that character as that person. Yeah. But I I truly don't think anyone else could have done, maybe Bruce Campbell, I think could have been the only other one to like have done the machismo, but like balance the action, swashbuckling and comedy. Like I think he's the only other person who could have done it. Yeah, it's it's, it's always hard to know for sure, but you, you can't have to think just, the alchemy of movies, just why they work is where every element goes, hap- just happens to go right. 
And if one thing's off, then the, maybe the whole movie falls apart. So I'm, I'm sure Bruce Campbell could have done a great job, obviously, or Kurt yeah, Russell. But you know what it is? He does, like, he brings uh, Brendan. I mean, I can't speak to any of those actors because obviously, you know, those those versions of the movie don't exist. But what you look for when you have, like, a lead actor in a role like this is someone who will take a very straightforward role. And this is a pretty straightforward leading man role. And just, like, bring something extra to it to help elevate it and make it a little yeah. stronger. And I, I think he really does that. I, you know what's funny? I was talking about uh, the movie Avatar recently with a friend. And we were talking about how the character uh, – I'm blanking on his name. Jake. It's like – Jake, Jake Scully or Sully Jake or something? Sully. Yeah, Sully. yeah. Uh, Jake Sully is written very well on paper, uh, but the actor Sam Worthington doesn't really bring any like dimension to it or anything that's not really already there in the paper. He just plays it very straightforward. Yeah, and you, I, I think actually it makes a good contrast to something like Brandon Fraser in The Mummy, where Brandon Fraser, you know, again takes a very straightforward role, but he brings a lot of energy and humor to it, and like just edges it up a little bit, you know. And that's uh, not to be taken for granted. Now, as good as a lead is, I think we can also transition into the the rest of the actors who are associated with this movie, I think all do very good jobs um, with what they need to do and what their various roles are. So why don't we talk about some of the other actors as well? We got Rachel Wise. Yeah, I think she um, does very well and shows... um, she plays that character so well that when they recast her in the third one, Maria Bellows, which that might be one of the weirdest um, casting changes I've ever seen. Because no one else wanted to do it. Yeah. We'll go from a, you know, brunette English woman to a blonde American doing an English accent, but sure. Why not? Um, Yeah. No, she does it very well. I didn't, I haven't seen the third one. I, I think you guys had to explain to me that she was the same character. Yeah. I always figured it was a thing where just, they said Rachel Weisz died off screen and then he just got like a new wife in between. It was like, I thought it would be a Transformers three thing with yeah. uh, the Megan Fox, Rosie Whitling, Whitlington. Huntington Whitley. Yes. Jake, you get the gold star today. Rosie Huntington Whitley. Yeah. I've so, tried so blocking be- all the Transformers movies out since you guys have forced me to watch them. So, so, so would it be a thing? Their where- favorite pastime. So maybe in the third movie, when the, so Jake, maybe you thought like Jonathan calls uh, his dead sister a bitch or something. Is that yeah, it's thought? it's like in Transformers three how they explain Megan Fox where the little robot is like glad that bitch is gone or something <laughs> something really terrible like that. I figured they just did the same thing in the Mummy three. Yeah. Well, I just exactly. assumed that um, Rachel Wise like called like um, Stephen Summers like you know, Mussolini or compared him to like some like lesser tier dictator, and that's why she wasn't in the that one. <laughs> oh yeah, we all know Stephen Summers. That man's a monster. Yeah, but no, but I think going back to Rachel, she's great, and I think um, she does very well. But in the first one, you know, we'll get into more when we talk in the second one. And uh, as much as I like the Mummy Returns uh, spoilers, it's not nearly as high up on the list for me in terms of favorites. But um, I think in the first one, she balances her earnest character. You know, she, it's very clear that yeah, you know, she says you know drunkenly in the one scene, she's like, "I'm a librarian." You know that she doesn't get to go out too often on these expeditions that she's always wanted to do do this but yeah she's kind of in an era where it's like 
one, women don't get to do much, and two, you know, she's arrived and worked her way up at a time where all the big stuff had been discovered. You know, you look at the timeline of this movie, you know, we're already a few years past King Tut and all that good stuff. So, yeah, she's kind of hamstrung, you know, like, hamstrung, like, between uh, the you know, era of being a woman and a lot of stuff has already been done. All the big stuff has been done. You know, what is she to do? So, you know, she's earnest. She hasn't really been out in the field, but she knows like how to manipulate people. You know, like when she's like you know, de-escalating, you know, the American team and then Rick and um, Jonathan's gunfight. She's like, okay, you know, we'll go somewhere else. She's able to outspark them to know to go below the statue and whatnot. And it's, you know, a very good character for her. Yeah, it's very well say, haven't, they've already discovered all the major things except that one really major thing i guess yeah <laughs> i'm thinking of this like is in our real world like this is you know i think this takes place in 1923 that from beginning of time up to 1923 is the exact same timeline and then this is the fork in the road so i think uh, world war ii doesn't happen because of this now oh because of emotep fucked the world up yeah emotep fucked the world up so like hitler's like really like freaked out or maybe actually escalates it because the nazis were into like mystical stuff so it's like now he's like I'm, i know i'm right we got to go to egypt now ashwash <laughs> for the power of arnold vaslu or the scorpion king that's my that's my german there you go. <laughs> uh well also uh, rachel weiss and brendan Fraser have fantastic chemistry yeah yes yeah those two are fantastic together it's either you know with that it either works or it does in movies and it, it really does there Yep, I agree. So well that they have a kid in the second one, but we'll go into that when we talk about the second one. So when we get into that, we'll point out that the math doesn't make sense, so I don't think that's really his kid. Well, that's more of the third movie. Yeah. It's like Brendan Fraser and it's his awesome. son are like the same fucking age. No, like in the so second... Off screen, she, she revealed that she had a child from another marriage. Yeah, well, because <laughs> that's Fraser. the thing. Like, what? That's the thing, because they say... Like, or he had the child in the other marriage. We don't know. Maybe because we never saw it. What happened? Yeah. Well, they say um, in the movie how old um, their son is, but they also establish how many years removed from the first one they are, and it's like he would have been like a year old, or she would have been like four months pregnant, or something. Like it, it, the timeline doesn't actually work out. So mm-hmm. one of them is a step parent. They had a one night stand four months previous to the events of the movie, and they just they they did not make the connection until after the adventure was over. That's why he was in jail. He was looking for a good time and got a good time. <laughs> Remember, that's why Brennan Fraser I, was in jail. I do, and that's the scene where he nearly Brennan Fraser nearly died in real life. Yeah, oh, is that where he like accidentally like hung himself or something? Or <laughs> yeah, they accidentally yeah they accidentally um like strangled him and luckily it didn't snap his neck. He just almost <laughs> strangled and stuff. But that's thing you always hear about these movies and i think like brendan fraser tells the story that like the stunt guy is like oh you joined the mel gibson club because that almost happened to mel gibson and i know that almost happened to michael j fox on uh, back to the future three you know michael j fox puts it as he's like you know it took them a while to realize i wasn't that good of an actor um but it's like you, you always hear it's like these guys are almost strangled i wonder like why is it like what do they do differently that you know it doesn't work like an actual hanging where they just snap their neck like just imagine like steven summers like okay action and then just like you hear a snap and brendan (laughs) Brendan (laughs) just swinging back and forth oh brendan at least he's suffering in it early 
God, no Doom Patrol for you, Brendan. Oh, but um, but yeah, I think he described it as it was like a silent movie where just the iris closed out, and that's you know that that happened right before he he became unconscious. And I think Stephen Summers and Brendan Fraser like have different stories where Fraser's like, I was taking the direction of my director, and Stephen Summers is like, Oh, you know, he he did it. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> I didn't even want to make the scene. <laughs> That's the thing. I was listening to the commentary, and you know, Stephen Summers seems like a nice guy, but he's like deflecting a lot. He's like, God, these he's like literally saying these extras are terrible. They were making this so difficult to like do. <laughs> it's a great commentary. I think you guys should all check it out if you have the DVD because it's between him and the editor. Oddly, you think you see like director oh. and editor commentary, and you think that's that's a weird choice, but like the two of them are like longtime friends. By like that point, they had been friends for over twelve years. Like they met in college, so it's like. It's like our banter you know, between friendship and all that. So it's actually a very interesting commentary track. So, uh, well, that's interesting. Giving hearing the editor's perspective because I think they always have a very, very viable one that's very overlooked in the process. Oh, for sure. So, um, but and plus, yeah. Somers just seems like a cool guy. It's like a big kid almost. That, that's the thing. Like, I it wasn't malicious. I, let me be clear. If it's like it's not malicious, it's like those fucking actors. I hate them. It's just like saying, it's like, oh, this is like really difficult. To, like, you know, he's not like trying to be like PC with his like, you know, commentary tracks. You hear like a lot of commentaries are just like very vanilla. It's like, it was great working with these people. He's just like, oh no, this was like fucking hell to film. Like every other story he has, he's like, this was difficult. I was, we were like passing out. This was so difficult. Like we're exhausted. It's, I don't even know how we finished the movie. Yeah, well... I- Apparently they had a film in Morocco for six weeks and they, they did get it done in six weeks, but apparently they, to keep them from being dehydrated, the, I think the production had to make, create a drink for everyone to drink every two hours so people wouldn't suffer from dehydration. Plus there were scorpions and snakes and everything. And I think Brendan Fraser told a story where there was like a yellow spotted snake and he was to, to be careful of it will kill you. And he was taking a piss one day and saw it and just got the hell out of there. Well, and you also look that like, they're all fucking wearing like, you know, button down shirts and slacks and like all that. So like they're wearing like formal attire and they're out in the middle of the fucking desert. That'd be hell to do. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. well, continuing on though with the characters, um, you know, we got the comedic relief of Jonathan and Benny. And this is actually very, you know, rare. And I think when you have two different comedic relief um working actually very yeah. well to get work yeah they don't share really any interaction but they work very well you know in their different formats of the cowardly you know sidekick and then the cowardly sidekick but to the villain who so he's conniving you know he's you know the only time he ever injures any of them is like he punches rick when rick isn't looking and stuff like that so you know he's a very weasley guy and you know Summers even said he wrote the character of Benny specifically for Kevin J. O'Connor. Like, he's like, I knew when I started writing this, it had to be him in this. Well, yeah, it's because they worked together in Deep Rising, which yeah. is a very good movie. It's a cool movie. I always wanted to check Deep Rising out. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, well, I think what makes Jonathan and Benny very different, I think you made a good point where they, those two characters could have canceled each other out. I, I think the fundamental difference between them both is I think Benny's the cowardly one and Jonathan despite being the humorous kind of side character he isn't cowardly so that that might be the thing that distinguishes them 
He's he reminds me of, and I know this isn't a sound. Yeah, it's actually. I think that's a good analysis of it. And that's why that character doesn't grate on your nerves. Yeah, mm-hmm. he reminds me of almost like a scrappy dude done right. He's like very just like, oh, I'll do this, I'll do this. But then like he knows his limitations, so like is like he talks tough shit or whatever. But he realizes like, okay, Rick and them are gonna do have to do the majority of the fucking like work here for me. But, you know, he does it well. He, you don't think he's going to go running away and be like, fuck my sister. I don't want to have this. I'm getting the hell out of town. Yeah. You know that he's going to do the right thing. If he were on his own, he would probably die and the world would end. But, you know, he would have gone down fighting at least. Well, yeah, no, that's a good observation, too. I, the other fundamental difference is that Jonathan cares about his sister, Evelyn. Yeah. Those two seem pretty inseparable and they go everywhere together. And that's, I think, again, your brain notices those things. But now that we're breaking them down, it's seems to be why that character works at least one of the yeah. reasons that's also great that he's like a con man too that like you know like like it's unabashed how he keeps trying to con people throughout the movie like he doesn't become a better person like by the end of the first one and the end of the second one he's still just like a schemer but like a very yeah didn't they one. they said something like that where they were like he's the one character that's like consistent across the two movies he never really learns anything but that's the joke yeah I think the filmmakers might have said that. Exactly. That's pretty funny. Yeah, that's like the comedic side character that really works, where the humor really lands. Like I said in the National Treasure commentary, Riley doesn't always work. His jokes don't always land. But the Jonathan character, I think that's, I think it's always on point with him. I think that's a, not trying to belittle Justin Martha. Yeah. Yeah. But that actor who plays Jonathan is pretty, pretty great. I think the character's written well enough too. So, yeah. well, it's also you know you gotta give him even more credit because you know he's um, acting through a very heavy Scottish accent and then do a British accent. So he's not, he's got to do an accent on top of all this shit. So that's pretty impressive. You know he's doing this quick-witted dialogue and like crazy action scenes, and you never, as far as I can tell, I can never hear his accent slip either. Oh, wait, he's Scottish? Yeah, if you watch the like special features, he's got a very heavy Scottish accent. Oh, I guess oh, I can hear that. I can kind of hear that now. Uh, I guess his last name is O'Connor. No, that was uh, Benny. Oh, I apologize. Yeah. No. Um, Yo, which well, guy I'm... here has only seen the movie twice? <laughs> See if you guys can guess. <laughs> well, and, you know, I think um, since we've gone from this, all the sidekicks... Uh, Oh, wait, we didn't go through all the sidekicks. We did, um, didn't talk about Ardith Bay, the Magi. Well, yeah, that's the name of the, the original mummy who Boris Karloff plays. That's a very good nod to him as well. Yeah. It's really slightly different. Yeah. But um, he's actually a very good character as well because he could also, like how we talked about the um, comedic foils canceling each other out, he could have potentially, because he's a really good badass and all that, like, you know, it's a shame that... Um, he gets sidelined for most of the second movie as well for um, good chunks of it, at least. Um, even though he's with them, like he doesn't get to do much that um, he um, could have been really canceling Rick out a lot more. And you know, he's able to have the definition of, yeah, I'm the badass, but I'm able to fill you in a little bit more on like the history of this and explain shit. So he, you know, he's like, the exposition um, fairy, but like also like a badass one at, on top of that. So he's not just like, hey, these mummies are bad. Let me move off to the side for the fight scene. These mummies are bad. I'm going to actively participate now. Yeah, I mean, he's a noble character. The, the whole 
idea of in the Magi is to protect people from reopening them up in Otep's tomb. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where that comes from. But in the second one, he, I think he's given more to do in that, even though he, he is with them for a while. He, I think the B plot is him getting, getting his army to, uh, yeah, to I, confront I, that's the army of Anubis. Yeah. He's with them for like two thirds of it, but then like the climax really is like he's detached from it. And yeah, we'll get into the problems that movie has. Um, and, you know, rewatching because I also watched it today. I'm like, oh, there are a little bit more props in this than I thought. But um, that know, second movie is like the coolest movie I've ever seen. But <laughs> I don't want to talk too much about that before yeah. we do the, the one about that. Exactly. Um, it blew my mind. <laughs> oh, no, I have a very funny story about that with um, a different roommate who, when me and Jacob watched it, that was the first time he had seen it as well. So. Um, <laughs> Stay tuned. I think that was the first. Wait, are you talking about back in ICLA? Yeah, I think we only watched the first one there because the first time I saw it was with you guys. Oh wait, no, yeah, I did show it to him. Um, oh, it showed it to Mitch. We, yeah. We'll get into that when we yeah. when we watch the, yeah. do the second one. That's a <laughs> That's how story. great the second one is. I'm just like, <laughs> uh, yeah, the first one's pretty good. Can we get to the second one? Filling <laughs> exactly. over into this. Yeah. Um. Well, and then I guess going on to the villain now, Emotep. Um, I think, you know, yeah. as I've gotten older, I've actually respected the writing and characterization of um, Emotep a lot more, you know, from, you know, as a kid, I'm like, oh, he's just the bad guy. It's like, he's actually a pretty complex villain. And um, it's very interesting. He, you know, he's not actively trying to take over the world, or at least that's not the viewpoint I have watching the movie now. It's, I'm going to try and resurrect my girlfriend. And if anyone stands in my way, they're going to be dead. And if the world descends into an apocalyptic landscape, so be it. That's not my problem. He's very like focused. He's almost like Thanos. He doesn't care about, you know, everyone else. It's just what is his goal and how does he accomplish it? That's perfect. Goal we understand. Yeah. Got it. That's what's nice about it. Well, I know Arnold Vosler said before he accepted the role or when he talked with Summers, he said he, the only way he could do it is if he could play someone who was passionately in love. Since, you know, obviously that's, that's his goal, so I obviously understood the character. But yeah, I always thought that was very interesting, too. He's not just an evil guy. He's just a guy just trying to bring back his girlfriend. Well, it shows Arnold Vosler, uh good actor, too. Yeah. He, he does he does good. He's, he's appeared in, like, a lot of, like, what was it? He... He's been in a bunch of Steven Sommers because he was in G.I. Joe, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He was um He was uh, I'm looking him up. He was Zartan. Zartan, okay. You know what's funny is that Zartan, his character was the villain, the main villain in the second film. But he was in disguise as Jonathan Price the whole time. So Arnold Vosloo only appears like a couple times. Yeah. But he's technically the main villain of that film. No Steven Sommers, no Arnold Vosloo. <laughs> They come together. But he was also uh, he was Darkman in the uh, yeah. direct the, the TV sequels to the movie Darkman. Yeah, he's very. Uh, and this is a psych reference to anyone who watches it. There's something very Billy Zaney about him, <laughs> which is That's funny. Because kind of cool. Which was funny because as we uh, mentioned in the um, Phantom commentary, for some reason Billy Zane has that on his. Um, Twitter buyers like I was not the mummy. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it's funny because when Arnold Vosley was cast, because he, he has a very limited wardrobe in the movie, he just, he's just like in a thong or something like that. He's got like a I think, like torn up like well, robe pretty much. Yeah. Time. He said that he had like a beer paunch when he first got the part. So just I'm just trying to imagine Arnold Vosley with like a paunch. He's walking he out with somebody. the thong. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm the mummy, guys. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Rachel. He drops his jaw and just like like has a burp <laughs> I just I love because there's a few times where he just he had no idea what the fuck they were talking about in terms of like the direction. I think when they were on the sand dunes and he's <laughs> and what remember the obviously the part with the sandstorm and the mummy face and everything. Arnold Vaso said Stephen Summers was directing him. He's like, I don't know. <laughs> It's like, I don't know where I look, what I'm supposed to do. So Steven Summers was just directing with, through a megaphone saying, look this way, then do that and that. And Arnavasu said, I'm never going to, I was like, I'm never going to work with him again. <laughs> He's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> oh yeah, no, when, when he was in the motion capture suit, they said, um, what did they tell him? They said, when, when your character is the skeleton, is like the newly resurrected mummy. It's like a special effects reference. They said, "You, you walk." Like, wow, shit! What did they say? You walk in the even when you're skeleton form, you walk the same way that when when you're in human form. And Arnold Voss is like, I don't know what the fuck that means. That's that's great. Like, I guess we call it look over here direction. Yeah. <laughs> There's like this is like this is very random, but in the behind the scenes for Star Trek Nemesis. There's a great shot of the director of that movie who's like directing like it's like a bunch of like a crowd of people sitting at a table and he's just like tapping on the table going like I want you all to look over here looking right here all right it's amazing and that was the direction for the scene that's what I think of whenever I hear stuff like that okay look yeah, over so here and do the thing well yeah Stuart Baird he, he definitely directed a movie after that <laughs> he ended up I mean he, he came back because he edited Casino Royale. If I oh yeah, he, correctly. He, yeah, he was a great. I mean, he's a great editor. That's how we. Yeah. He edited a lot of the Martin Campbell films. He edited The Mask of Zorro. He edited Goldeneye, um, and a lot of movies in the '80s. Actually, I think he was like the go-to uh, editor doctor, or whatever they called it. Or so he he was like the industry's go-to guy back in the day. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, but that's another subject. Yeah, but. Well, go, but going back to Vasu and like not having any idea what he was doing, and like Summers really having to like be like, "Hey, look over here," and I did not know that. I mean, he is able to like you know, give a very good performance. Like, I I believe he's controlling that wall of sand and like knew exactly what he was doing. So, you know, yeah, no, it's, it's very so, and I think it goes back to the comparison to the Boris Karloff. Um, Mummy more than anything is, you know, like his scheming nature. Now, you know, he's not nearly as much of a schemer, you know, hands off as Boris Karloff was, but, you know, he's got his plans and he's trying to get it down, done. And, you know, it's very much in direct contrast to uh, the Karis Mummy series where, you know, again, you know, like I said, he's almost like Michael Myers, like just like a brainless, you know, being controlled by evil priests in each, each movie. And, you know, even though the end goal is the same for Arnold Vosloo Emotep, Boris Karloff Emotep, and then uh, the Karis one of get my long lost love, you know, reincarnated. He, he and Karloff, I mean, um, Arnold Vosloo, you know, have the intelligence behind it, have like the 
heart and soul behind it. You know, and as we get into um, the problems of Mummy Returns next time around, um, you know, that movie did a great disservice to his storyline until the very end, at least in my opinion, that, you know, you feel that all this again is him being like, I'll do whatever I need to do to get the love of my life back. Um, I'm going to be a genocidal maniac if it means it, but I'm going to do it no matter what. And it's like, you feel that conviction in him very well. And I think it makes, like I said, it makes him a very interesting villain. It's just, you get it. Yeah. Wants to bring his girlfriend back, you know, determined to do that no matter the cost. Makes sense. It's a clear motive. Got it. That's what's, it's great. It's not very muddled. It's very straightforward. And you, you understand what the villain wants. That's great. That's just great. Exactly. Yeah, that needs to work if your movie's called The Mummy. What What was the motive of The Mummy in the 2017 Mummy reboot? What, what did she want again? World domination. I don't uh, I know. I know in, like, they have this big flashback at the beginning that she's, like, killing people so she could get power. But it's, like, when she comes back, that, that thing, I, I don't remember what she wanted to do. I'm looking like, this she, up. Yeah, she, like, wanted to take over the world, <laughs> I guess. And that's the thing. It's like, um, I don't know, like, you know, they were teasing at the end of that movie that she would be back, you know, they're encasing her and you're like, and like, um, like it's lead or like whatever it is that, you know, she'll be back at some point, you know, like when they were going to do their, you know, Avenger style crossover, but it shows you it, it leaves vir- virtually no impact on me. I know I've only seen that movie for okay. one time, but. So, yeah, so I'm reading Wikipedia right now. Um, the princess Amanet attempted to summon the deity Set. She was caught and mummified alive. Am- Amanet's mummy escapes from the sarcophagus, feeds on people to regenerate her body, and seeks to use Nick Morton, Tom Cruise's character, as a vessel to be possessed. Um, oh, by the the dead guy or whatever. Um, captures, strikes her down. I'm gonna remains dagger, but there's also a gem. So there's like a gem and there's a dagger, but you have to shatter the ruby, I guess, that the gem. And then Doctor Jekyll wants wants him to be possessed. Wants Nick Morton to be possessed. And then at the end, I think he does get possessed. And they put her in Mercury. And that's the motive of the mummy in the 2017 movie. When you break it down to its simplest thing is bringing back person A wants to bring back person B, whether it's lover or for power. But it's like, again, it shows you that the Summers and then the original Karloff version, it's like, you know, that have borderline the same plot with it or uh, motive at least, you know, um, can do it so much better because it's like, yeah, that, you know, movie left such a little impact on all of us. And, and I think Jacob is the true control here because prior to like last month when we watched this again for preparation for this, you had seen the 1999 Mummy as many times as you'd seen the 2017 Mummy. And I don't want to speak for you, but <laughs> oh, sure yeah. you I mean, like, remember the 90s Mummy a little bit better than that one. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I you know I don't think I liked the 90s one quite as much as you guys, but I, I don't even think the new one was in the same league. But you, and what I'm saying, the new one was like more interesting as like a test case in terms yeah. of like, <laughs> uh, it like the bad traits of modern filmmaking. 
Like I was thinking about stuff like that more than I was like watching the movie than the story of the actual movie. Um, with the reboot of the mummy, I mean, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Like this, this is like this is a solid, uh, a very solid action adventure film. Um, and it's the best mummy film that has been made from this franchise. I agree. I mean, the, the original is fine. Going back to that, but it, I forgot to add that it 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 almost is like Dracula two point oh, where it, the plot, at least from what I remember, is a little similar to the, the original same, Dracula. The it's truly the same plot, you know. It's got. It's even got the opening score to both of those movies. It's yeah, right. yeah. And then they even have like similar powers and everything. Both are in love with a woman. Both, both hypnotize. Have, uh, yeah, both hypnotize with their eyes. Yeah. Both and it both take place in about three, three rooms. Yeah. And even um, the guy who plays, um, isn't the guy who plays Van Helsing in Dracula? Yeah, he also in that one too. Same, same actor, not same character, but the same actor. Yeah, same actor. Yeah. Well, and th- I mean that's. Um, he was working the stage across from us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that, I mean, that yeah, was uh, a thing you see as we've seen watching all the Wolfman movies and all the Frankenstein movies. Is they they really reuse those you know stable of actors over and over again. It's like Dwight Fry's in like five of those movies. The same um, Burgermeisters are like the same guys. One even though they're decades apart, um, I don't think they're supposed to be the same actor or same character. But like they're just like yeah, you know, you you played a mayor before, you could do it again, right? I get real actors troop vibes from those movies. Yeah, it's back when they had contracts. So it's like, hey, you know, Mr. Man, you have um, a contract to make 55 movies with Universal Studios in five years, so get working. And 45 of them are going to have the Wolfman in the title. Uh, <laughs> I like the, um, I don't know, did you, ever, did you guys ever watch the Hammer Horror Mummy films? No, I've watched I have not, actually. Yeah, those, those as a kid I really loved. I, I think I watched one of the Karis films from Universal as a kid. And then I remember watching the, uh, the Mummy, Christopher Lee one as a kid too. And I loved that one. That was like what I wanted out of a, a Mummy movie. So years later, I was a little disappointed with the original Mummy. It wasn't just a monster Mummy walking around killing people, which is not the worst thing in the world, I guess. But um, that's, that's kind of what like, you know, yeah, yeah, that that's my thing. That's why I, you know, I've always appreciated this movie, the the '90s Mummy movie, but I never loved it just because I always wanted it to sort of embrace the uh, the scarier elements. Because I feel like you can make a really cool action adventure film around a really scary subject like that. But it does play it. You know what? It's almost like watching *Romancing the Stone* at times. The mm-hmm. the 1999 Mummy, uh, and that's fine, if, especially if that's what they were going for. That's just uh, that's just what I think um, made it so I I like it more than I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's more of a personal preference thing for you then, or I suppose so. But I you know I personally think it would have made it a better movie. So take it what you take it how you will. Okay. Um, and I think it yeah. goes to I, I think also. it I think it kind of waters the material down by playing it as just a more straightforward action adventure thing without those horror elements being more strongly ingrained. Like I said, they're in there, but they're played pretty softly. And it's not really the, the focus of the movie in any regard. Mm-hmm. 
it, it's right. definitely focused on being an action adventure thing first. Yeah. No. Um, and I don't know this for a fact, but I feel like um, I'd have to like look into a little bit more, but like, I feel that um, Steven Summers is like, as we've seen, you know, with um, this, uh, that the mummy returns to the extent. And then yeah, with Van Helsing, which we'll get into, you know, he very much has a love for the classic universal monster movies. So I wonder um, how much of this was also, you know, those movies weren't nearly as scary for someone who's like a you know younger baby boomer who's growing up in the seventies watching this compared to someone a lot older when those movies were, you know, crap your pants terrifying level so i wonder how much of it could be well these movies didn't really scare me i like you know the cool monsters like oh that's horrific and all that you know he didn't want to make it too scary because to him the original movies weren't that scary so i wonder if how much of it was his interpretation of the scary level versus what actually was intended i think they just wanted to make it like an indiana jones type film i think that's more marketable and you get the PG-13 rating by not making it too scary. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'm sure they were passionate about making an adventure film like that. Um, Could be. You know, on the filmmaker's side. But I, I, that's what I always, I always wished it embraced a scarier core to base all the action and adventure around. Well, and it goes to, though, like I said, with my, the, my theory, you know, especially when you see Van Helsing, like, it's a love letter to the original Universal Monster movies. And, you know, he... Um, one of the things that Summers was pissed off about with um, Universal is he wanted to open up this mummy movie with um, the b- original black and white Universal logo from the 40s. And they were they refused to let him do that. They're like, we want to have our modern, I think at the time it was the new logo. I think it was one of the first movies mm-hmm. to have yeah. the new logo um, from, I think it used the 75th anniversary one for quite a while. Um, I don't know that for sure though. But they wanted him to have that. He was pissed off about even the first thing he says on the commentary is, yeah, I don't like this logo. Like, that's literally, he's like, hi, I'm Steven Summers. The other guy introduced himself. And then they talk about how they don't like the logo that much. It's like. Could have been worse. He could have had to use the Dark Universe logo. Could have been. Oh, my God. God. Um, Well, Um, you know what it was? Because that logo, I think, had just come out in 97, I want to say. Yeah. yeah, The Lost World. Yeah. So it was, you know, it was new and got to push it for a few years before you can start doing the variations, especially if it's a major tentpole like that. Yeah, you know, yeah, but it would have been really cool. coverage on it. But I, I mean, from an artistic standpoint, it would have been cool. Yeah. And I'm trying to think, you don't see um, the variations of logos too often on major like tentpole for the, like the masses. Like the only one off the top of my head, I can think that even qualifies would be um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And even then, that's Tarantino. That's, you know, a little bit um, different than trying to do a tentpole movie doing that. So I can't, I can't really think, I'm not going to claim that no tentpole movie does that, but I can't really think of too many that put the old logos before it. You, you see them around. Of, of, like, so. a, of like a major like tentpole. Like Indiana Jones does that. It's okay. weird, but I, I, I'd have to rewatch it. I think Dr. Sleep might have actually it done did. that with the Warner it Brothers did. logo. Yeah. And yeah. then I just watched it. Um, I, I was yeah. watching the director's cut. And then, um, oh, and then Joker did with the original Warner Brothers logo. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 See, on, on one hand, I think it's cool from an artistic standpoint. But on the other, I think to myself, you know, stop trying to make a movie like you're in the 1930s or 70s. Like, this is a modern movie at the end of the day. Just try yeah, to be consistent with that. Time. Ultimately, it's 
a throwback and it is an element of indulgence, even if there is sort of an artistic intent behind it. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I kind of, Jake, I I sort of lean towards your opinion on this as well, even if it is, you know, just the opening logo. But, yeah, but, but it, all of it this is still better than the Dark Universe logo. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. Talk about putting the cart before the horse in that one. Jesus, yeah, I remember in the theater watching that once the logo went up. I just, I think we both just went, oh no. <laughs> it's just like, oh God. <laughs> I remember seeing the like original trailer, um, the trailer they did for the Dark Universe. And, you know, I hate the music. And if I love just the compilation of like the old like monster movie clips. And it's like I was really rooting for this to work because I'm like any like anything that could get the original monster movies some love is fine by me. And I just like then saw like the logo and then the music I tried to put over him like, oh no, this is gonna be bad. then I saw, you know, it didn't help that the first time I saw a trailer for the 2017 mummy was the infamous they uploaded with the temp audio. So it was like, you know, like an omen of things to come. <laughs> uh, God, I, I, uh, I think we, um, Jake, your reaction summed it up well, where you were like, I hope they continue this just to see where it was going to go. I really did. I was, I was, <laughs> I wanted to watch the train wreck continue. Like it, to me, it was kind of like, this could be fun. As soon as they yeah. set up Tom Cruise to be like a mummy superhero and it was going to turn in like Russell Crowe's like saying, sometimes you need a monster to fight a monster and there'll be others they have to discover. And you're like, Oh my God, they're going to do like the monster Avengers. That's yeah, what I, I was that, like. That's what they were literally setting up. <laughs> bring on the next one. Yeah, it was, was terrible, but we need to see where this goes. This is going to be laughably bad. Well, I think the yeah. next one was supposed to be uh, a Bride of Frankenstein movie with um, Harvey Bardem as the Frankenstein monster. So it's like, that would have been fucking really interesting. With Harvey Bardem as the Bride of Frankenstein. Well, I, I think they were, I, you know, very little ever been released. But why why would they, they were... do Bride? I mean, I don't know. Why, why would they do Bride of Frankenstein before Frankenstein? That's like... I don't know. Yeah, I think that, that was my mindset. But I think what they were going to try and do with him is, or at least what I would hope they would have tried doing with him, which would have been interesting, so it probably wouldn't, wouldn't have been the thing they would have done with him, was I think it would have been cool if they made him like a closer to the um, book version. So, like, you know, he's the intelligent creature who's like just, like, you know, just, just distraught and disgusted with humanity, but has intelligence and all that. So, I think that would have been a very interesting you know especially then to um contrast with the karloff version so it would have been able to set itself apart from the more famous um incarnations or screen incarnations at least because you really other than the um de niro movie have i haven't i can't recall too many um versions of frankenstein where they go they try and go close at all to the original plot with um the monster having any form of intelligence I love that phrasing, yeah. the De Niro Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> it's too bad. That's like great casting in theory, but. Uh, I, I enjoyed that movie for what it was. Are we no, talking about the mummy right. or the De Niro Frankenstein? The De Niro Frankenstein. I'm <laughs> not I saying it was great. Yeah. Like the mummy, the mummy is better, but I, you know, I enjoyed it for the sort of big, kind of silly operatic version of that story that it was well yeah and i get, i've only seen like parts of it but like i've seen a lot of his clips but it's like again it's like you know what 
I'd like the new version of like what we think is, yeah, other, like I know there was a Cinemasker did a talking about, um, they did a ver- TV movie version that like, I think starred Randy Quaid as the monster. I'll put it up on screen if I'm wrong. What? <laughs> and he like, he tried playing it like intelligently and all that. And like, it's like, it's in, it, like, I am Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> That's amazing. I can't I, like, I imagine cousin, up, cousin Eddie as Frankenstein, but like, it, it's interesting to see, like, okay, you know, most versions portray Frankenstein as the bumbling, you know, mindless monster. And the only other version I can think of that gave him intelligence was I, Frankenstein, which was an interesting movie, to say the least. Well, actually, there is one which is my favorite. This just sounded really pretentious of me, but I think a very faithful adaptation of the, of the character is uh, in that show Penny Dreadful. Uh, I haven't watched that. Huh? Yeah, no, it's... It's like a great show, but he's the Frankenstein monster is probably my favorite because it is actually like the closest to the book. Um, but it's just it's it's great for what it is too. I and, I uh, did not see I Frankenstein, but from what I've seen of it and like read about it, it seems like one of those interesting ideas. Like it seems like an interesting idea. Like, what if Frankenstein was still hanging around today, fighting, and then someone did a ton of drugs and just came up with the rest of the story? Because doesn't he have to fight? fight like some yeah, army he, or something like that of mystical army. creatures he fights demons in a war with angels like it's a literal holy war and like they're fighting over him because the demons can use him because he has no soul to like birth thousands of demons on like in earth or whatever and then like i, I don't quote me on it i'll put up the wikipedia passage if i'm wrong but i think like by the end of it they try and do it but they realize he has grown a soul so he has a soul, so he can't, you know, the demon's plan doesn't work. And, like, it's it's a pretty weird fucking concept. Okay, Originally, well, the angel, armies of angels and demons fighting each other, that's that's very Frankenstein. That's typically what I associate that story with. And then add Aaron Eckhart being all sexy and just put a few scars on him, and that's what you, you imagine the Frankenstein monster looks like, a sexy man. Okay. I hate that song. Well, yeah, that original idea was like a comic. I think it was used as like a pitch. And it was actually kind of like a film noir thing where Frankenstein Monster's like a detective yeah. in a sort of like gothic metropolis, which I thought was a kind of a great idea. That's what I thought they were making. Yeah. I will, I'd watch it. That sounds more interesting, but I'm always going to laugh at any sort of high concept that's just blank as a detective. Yeah. <laughs> Frankenstein's a detective. The Wolfman. It's like a, that's like a CBS show or something like that. They should have oh, done like yeah. Frankenstein on CBS. Well, this was more like like the he looked like the Boris Karloff Frankenstein monster. Like there's there's images online you can you can look up. It actually looked really cool. Well, because that's like not a Universal story. movie, so they couldn't make him look like Karloff because that's um trademarked by Universal for like another thirty years or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, yeah, because um, that was all Jack Pierce. You know, Frankenstein didn't look like that in any, like, previous incarnation or in the book. Um, but. Anyway, uh, the mummy. Yeah, enough shitting at the Dark Universe for a little bit. Well, what else is there to okay. say? Um, I think we could go on to um, the plot a little bit more, talk about... Um, things we um that work and don't work with it now when i was listening to the commentary a theme i kept um hearing in the opening like third of the movie or the first third of the movie is stephen summer said kept saying we had different introductions for these characters so like you know rick 
the scene where he's fighting with the French Foreign Legion and Hamadatra at the beginning, there was supposed to be a scene introducing him, like who he was, what his backstory was, why he's with the French Foreign Legion. And then, you know, with Evie and um, uh, Jonathan as well, why are they there? And, uh, you know, they, with Jonathan and Evie, uh, apparently, like in the scene when she's drunk right after the Magi attack, and um, she's going on about um, her father was a very famous explorer, apparently, um, that was originally supposed to be a reference to, she was supposed to be the kids of, or they were supposed to be the kids of the guy who discovered um, King Tut's tomb. Oh, yeah, I read that. That was like the original version, and it was going to be like, that was going to play into like, I guess like how she's drawn to this stuff. And it's like, you, you don't need that. I, it's like, she's just a really smart person who's passionate, who accidentally discovers a curse like that. She's like, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, you know, my joke earlier that this is the real world up until this point. That's like, they actually found the one fucking mummy that has a curse on in this timeline. And with Rick, I don't need to know his backstory, why he's in the French foreign legion. It's very ironic with the name, um, it's like with Rick from Casablanca, like, you know, they tried doing a sequel afterwards, like a book about him. Like they tried doing like a book sequel about Casablanca years later. I'm like, well, let's explain why Rick came to Casablanca. Let's explain why he's here. It's like, you don't need that. He, he's just a roguish type who, you know, just goes wherever the money is, you know, and, you know, he's in it, like in it for the money where he's a charming guy, but that's what all he is. You don't need to have a drawn out Rick O'Connell was born in, you know, Wichita, Kansas, and came over here during the war. But you don't need that. I think it's perfect on its own. No, the, the story is simple and it makes sense that the characters are simple, yeah. simple motivations and everything. I mean, the only character we get a detailed backstory on is Emotep, really. He's the only one who we yeah. really get deep into it of why he is the way he is. And I think that's perfect. It really humanizes the villain. And as like Jacob says, it's, you know, simple stakes, you know what he's in for, but we know why he's like that. Well, yeah, it's, it's set up for the plot. I mean, without the mommy's motivation, there is no plot. Yeah. Yeah. That's like his backstory is, you know, the story of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, it, it, it just, I think it, you know, I know Jacob didn't grow up with it, so it could be partial nostalgia on, Jake and I's uh, viewpoint, but it's like, I think it's just like a very solid, you know, popcorn, you know, great movie, you know, and for what it's it actually is. nostalgia on my point. I'm nostalgic for the days when I hadn't seen it. That's <laughs> the problem. <laughs> but it's like, you look at it and I think, you know, like, and I, you know, I saw the mummy returns immediately after, cause I'd seen the first movie. It was like on HBO or something like that. I then heard because some friend of mine in school was a big fan of me. He's like, oh, there's a sequel. And you know, I went rented the sequel like the, you know, that weekend. So it's like I saw both of them back to back. And even as a kid, I didn't like the second one nearly as much. And then, you know, the third one, um, best left unsaid. Um, Did you so see the third one? I've seen a good chunk of it. Like I tried watching it and I'm like, oh, this is, this is tough. Best left unsaid. Best left unseen. Yeah, I mean, well, I haven't seen that one. Me neither. I, I still haven't seen it. It go and you know, briefly going into it, you know, I'll get into when we do the Mummy Returns. My problems with um, undermining characters and whatnot. But I mean, the third one, you know, forget the fact that you, know, you couldn't bring Emotep back. I'm actually fine with that, you know. But like changing it up, it's like what you know, a lot of people had a problem with the Tom Cruise Mummy. It's like 
you're taking it out of Egypt. Like, it's very weird that you're having a mummy movie that's, like, not at all connected with it. You change up, you know, like, the rules of this movie. I mean, there's, there's fucking yetis in that movie at one point. Like, it's, it's just so bizarre. And, like, it just, like, doesn't get what the characters are. You know, like, it, Rick O'Connell, like, one of his first scenes is him fishing getting pissed off about retirement and then like shooting in the water to get the fish. And it's like, you're turning him into a cartoon character. Now you're taking the guy who, you know, was charming, a little cartoony with his like, you know, screaming and doing double takes and all that. You know, when he first sees the mummy into turning him into like the cartoon version of him. And the literal Saturday morning cartoon show of the mummy didn't have him doing stuff like that. Yeah, well, I, I didn't mind the idea of it being about a, a new mummy. It just, if you got to make another one, I actually like the idea of it being a different mummy from a different culture. I like the idea of it. I don't know Asian about the mummy. different culture, but like, I'm fine with it being a different mummy at least. I like expanding the world and not, I, I like the idea of expanding the world beyond just the same locations. Yeah. yeah. I liked how they got out of Egypt and, but it just, it looked like the execution was. Yeah. Like I said, bad. they like, it felt like they didn't understand who the characters were anymore. Yeah, well, that, that's a problem in and of itself. Um, and I think the, they wanted to do another one. It, they wanted it to take place in South America with like a Mesoamerican mummy or something, which I, I think I, would have been cool. I would prefer that over, um, over the Chinese one because I think also part of the problem is it's a, not only a different setting, it just feels like a different movie. Like they're all in coats, they're freezing. Like it just doesn't feel like the mummy movie. I think it still needs to be like an action adventure. So that would have worked, I think you're right, better in South America. I think they should have just, they should have just, you know, gone for it, you know, bitten the bullet and just had it be an American mummy. An American mummy? Yeah, an American mummy. Freemasons experiment in the occult and they have like a mummified George Washington or something like that. But no, no, we got to find a more villainous. It'll be like Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr is a mummy. I have to say, side note. Uh, they got to team up with Emotep to defeat Aaron Burr. That's, that's what my version of the mummy four would have been. I have to say, side note, um, one of my favorite shows for like an, an ironic sense is, was Fox's Sleepy Hollow. And uh, Jake has watched the pilot with me. I love that show. The first two seasons are great. They're over the top, cheesy fun. The last two seasons suck. Um, so I don't watch the last two seasons. But the premise is it's a retelling of Sleepy Hollow in modern day where Ichabod Crane fought for the American Revolution. The British were fighting with demons. And like it's just crazy and sandy and now like the demons are in present day like america and at one point they're looking to fight the demons and they're like oh well we need our own you know creature like a golem and they're like oh ben franklin was working on one. he was stitching together the body parts of dead american soldiers to make the ultimate super soldier and then one character says unironically wait are we saying there's a frankenstein monster on the loose that we can use and they do they create Ben Frankenstein's monster powered by lightning and it's fucking great. And that's what that plot should have been. The Frankenstein monster. Yeah, it should have been like that. That's what the Mummy 4 should have been. It could have been ben some big Franklin. national treasure-esque conspiracy involving the founding fathers. Like, like oh, they only have one way to defeat the British. and You have to harness the power of Emotep and the mummies. It would have been great. I love that show. That's the next commentary track we're doing. We're just new commentaries on every single episode. It'll be great. Well, I will not be present for that commentary track. <laughs> it is a be... fun, stupid show. I love it. And I will force you to love it. 
Well, this time last year, you showed me the pilot, and my life has never been the same since. I, well, had you been here because we watched it on the floor? Now you're locked in a basement. He <laughs> <laughs> flew across the country from me to lock himself in the basement to escape because I told him it's going to be our yearly thing. That if you had been here for the 4th of July, that would have been a fun thing. Every year on the 4th of July, we watch one episode of that show. So it's going to take like 30 years to watch through the first two seasons. Oh, okay, so we'd be old men pissing ourselves once we got to the last season. You think we're going to be old men when we're 46? No, but I mean, when there's like 30 seasons? No, we're only watching the first two seasons. So that's 13 episodes plus like 22. Yeah. So we had to make it through 35 years. But never mind. It's going to make a very morbid joke. Go ahead. Do it. No, no. Time's passed. It's fine. Uh, But um, leaving us hanging. (laughs) Yeah, but back to the Mummy 3. Um, yeah, I think, you know, the, the worst part about, like, you know, the sequel, you know, limps past it a little bit with Evo Cup's movie. Three, a movie that one third of us have seen here. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I think the, it goes back to what we're saying, the characters and like, that's what makes it work the best. I think the second one has a few missteps in how they change characters. I think Emotep is the main one, AVs to a certain extent, we'll get into that next time, but like, it shows you when you get to the third one, they really didn't know what to do. The mummy character is not at all as interesting as Emotep. You know, Brendan Fraser and Jonathan are completely different, you know, or not nearly the, the same level. And, you know, then Evie, like, the way they introduce her in that movie, she's, like, retired, which I can't imagine Evie doing, and written, like, a series of books. And... You know, you don't see her and like a press conference is going on. They're like, oh, it seems like it's based on your character. The character is based on you. Is this character at all you? And then they finally reveal her face. And she's like, no, it's a completely different person. Completely like lampshading that it's now a different actress. It's like, you're really pissing on this character's grave now. Yeah, I remember seeing that on TV and I couldn't believe it. They changed her, but you know. You went there. Yeah, Rachel Wise um, was very smart. I mean, it would have been better, I guess, for her to get the paycheck, but I think integrity-wise, she knew not to do it. Yeah. Well, she came back for the second one, so I mean, well, that's, maybe... So, the third one... I, I feel like it was, it was like a little more relevant yeah. at that point, because the third one came like seven years after the last one, and yeah, yeah. it was it like, like, like kind of like striking while the iron was still hot. So an element of that to it. That is true. Plus, Rachel Wise hadn't quite blown up even by 2001. She was just kind of starting. So I think she could, you know, she probably got paid more. Yeah. And, uh, raises, raises her credit versus the third one, which is like, you know, like you said, seven years removed. She made the smart decision, but good old Brendan came back. It's usually a good sign that it took him seven years to figure out what the story could have been for the third movie. Well, and the crazy thing. Real is, sign of inspiration. The, with the first one, the day after it premiered, Steven Summers woke up from like, you know, slightly hungover supposedly from like the party. And like, he had a phone call from universal saying, make us another one. I'm like, yeah, they, well, yeah. yeah, they immediately like, okay, let's, you know, start to, now. Yeah. It took them like a year and a half, but it's like, you know, they figured it out went pretty quickly. Well, yeah, because the mummy saved the studio because uh, universal had suffered a series of flops. I think babe pig in the big city was like, the last major flop, so they needed a hit. Oh, yeah. Oh no, mm-hmm. that definitely didn't do pig. Get it? 
What? Is it a Shrek reference? At the end of the first babe, he's the He's talking about doesn't. the movie Gordy. Yeah. Yeah. The, but the <laughs> farmer the farmer begrudgingly says, That'll do, pig, that'll do. So the joke is since the second one flopped, that won't do, pig, that won't do. I thought it was just uh I thought it was just a pun. No. Well, no. here's where my comedy comes to die. That's what um, you're going to put crickets in. <laughs> just gonna edit yeah. Which, by the way, since we've been doing this via Zoom, we really haven't cut out from each other. I'm actually surprised. This is great. Yeah. I know. It's the total opposite of our phantom co- commentary. <laughs> we actually don't work. Phantom <laughs> commentary. It was like, I was like, it was like my, I was in a plane in the war and it was crashing and I was trying to communicate <laughs> with you guys. <laughs> so like George H.W. Bush. Billy Zane. <laughs> Going down. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was it. <laughs> that was the whole commentary. Just That's those, pretty much it. Well, it's really great because if you words. haven't watched it, you know, check it out. It's a, it's a great commentary, but like there are times because the two of them were at least in a room together. I wasn't where we're talking about the same scene. They're agreeing on they're agreeing with each other on it. I'm saying like complete 180 from what they're saying. So like we're nowhere near each other at all, agreeing or talking about the same. It's like an exercise in madness. Well, that Perfect for when, that period in time. Yeah, that, that, when quarantine was new and still was horrific. Now it's just like, nope, this is the world. Yep. As opposed to now, I was gonna say, as opposed to now. Yeah, but now, now we're just used to. It. Now we're dead inside. We know the quarantine will never end. <sighs> well, off of that note, <laughs> um, I'd rather fight the mummy. That's what actually was going to happen in August. A mummy's curse is going to happen. That's what 2020 is setting up for us. <laughs> That's what those murder hornets came from. They were actually <laughs> those scarabs or whatever. Oh, speaking of scarabs, some interesting funny trivia. The actor who played the, the prison warden, on, uh, when he didn't, when the scene where he gets killed by the scarabs, apparently on the day when he was doing his death scene, he, he chose not to wear any underwear for some reason. Yeah, I really don't know why. Um, Summer says on the commentary that originally there was supposed to be a gag where he was when he was crawling through the tunnel prior to that, his pants would sag down a little bit so you would see a little bit of butt crack. So it was supposed to be a stupid joke, but every time they did it, it sagged down a lot further. So he's just full on mooning the camera. So they're like, "Yeah, that's a little too much." So they cut that out. <laughs> that's kind of funny. Well, well, plus there's other apparently when he was running. Like, so maybe, yeah, that that led into that's why he's not wearing underwear. Yeah, well, apparently the editor had to just edit around the uh, the unintentional nudity from that actor. But apparently in th- there's like three frames where you can't see something. Yeah, it's like Dick just kept popping out because he's wearing like Middle Eastern clothing for, that was period appropriate that didn't have belts on it. And yeah, he just kept popping out. <laughs> and Stephen Summers goes into it very well saying we were almost shooting a porno by the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> Which what's Steven Summers' idea of a porno over like a heavy, sweaty Middle Eastern man He's running around <laughs> screaming, grabbing his head as it's being eaten by a bug? What, what are you into, Steve? That's a sweet yeah. ass. <laughs> we inadvertently found out um, Steven Summers' um, sexual pro- 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 predilections. So predilections. Yeah. He's into some really weird shit. <laughs> he also he also talks about on the commentary how um, in the boat scene they didn't realize the material was so sheer on Evelyn's um, 
dive down. So when she jumped in the water, it was completely see-through. And he's like, oh, yeah, I didn't notice at all while we were shooting. And, like, apparently that added a lot of time onto ILM's um, efforts because they had to repaint her dress to not be see-through to keep a PG-13 rating. Also, there's a couple times of improvisation in that scene. The first was the gag where Evelyn saves Rick from the, the bullets that are hit, hitting the wall and everything. Yeah, that was, that was improvised yeah. on the day. And then the other one was when everyone's trying to get off the boat and everything, and the prison warden says to Rick, what do we do now? And Rick says, wait here, I'll get help. And then he dives off. Apparently, the, the prison warden diving off, that was that was just made up on the day because Stephen Summers hadn't, didn't know what he was how the prison warden was going to get off the boat. Yeah. So. And that's a great, I think that's one of the funniest jokes of the movie. Cause like, it shows like Rick still is pissed off at him for like trying to hang him. He's like, he doesn't like him. So he's like, okay, fuck you, buddy. And like, it all yeah. works. <laughs> that character yeah. should have been in the sequel. Like they could have brought him back. He was like possessed by scarabs or something. Except he'd wear a belt. Yeah. Well, that's like the interesting thing also. There there actually is some pretty decent restraint for when they got into the sequels of when a character is dead, even though they have the Book of the Dead. Um, you know, like they didn't bring like any of the side characters back. Like a lesser, I think, movie, um, I, I will give them credit for that, a lesser movie would have tried to find a way to bring Benny back or, you know, bring some of the other characters back. Oh. I mean, they, they, could have, they could have done, you know, like with the 2017 mummy, you know, Jake Johnson comedic relief dies off and then he's like a ghost haunting him, you know, because of the mummy. They could have, they could have easily done that. And it's like, that would have been fucking terrible. The ghost to Kevin O'Connor. Yeah. They, they could have easily tried doing that. And, you know, I know like in the, um, the mummy returns, they kind of half-ass at the museum curator kind of filling in occasionally in comedic moments um, but you know, like they really don't have a comedic relief in that movie other than Jonathan. So it's like, they could have easily um, tried doing that again, much to the detriment of the movie. Cause I know in the cartoon, they have like another Weasley character who fills in the Benny role that they felt they needed to have them. So I'll, I will give mummy returns props for that. They didn't do that. Yeah. It was very good at not being a rehash of the first one, but we'll get into that with, with the next time. Yeah. Yeah. Next time. But yeah, no, I mean, I think again, you know, I know Jacob hates this movie. Um, thinks we're all assholes for life. That's right. <laughs> the guy that made you watch Bionicle the movie is going to sit here and criticize your movie. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but no, I, I think it's a it's a good movie. It's like it's not my favorite movie of all time, but like I, you know, I try watch it at least once a year. You know, that and the Mummy Returns once a year. I think it's very enjoyable. I think it's, um, yeah, I know, I, I see your point, Jacob, of, you know, it would have been nice with the, having the horror elements, but, you know, seeing, you know, it's the mummy character in general is a good case study for horror movies because we've seen how um, multiple different interpretations of the character. You have the evil conniving, conniving villain who has the hands off, like the Karloff version. You have the Karis mummies that turn him into, like, a silent slasher. You have a kind of similar but more hands-on version of emo of the 90s version and then you have whatever the fuck the 2017 version was and then you know add in all the other mummy movies like all the hammer ones it's a very interesting character to see how um mummies as horror movie villains have been evolved and um, interpreted over the decades 
Yes. Yeah, I you yes. know I I like like yeah. I said, I like this movie. The thing I most appreciate about it is the the genre turn it it took by becoming more of an adventure film than it was like just like sort of a like a small horror film like the original Mummy was. Um, that's uh, that was a exciting and smart reinvention, yeah. and uh, that's something that this puts this above pretty much heads and shoulders above the majority of the other sort of more by the numbers remakes that you see of those universal monster films Yeah, is that it does have like a real reason to exist. Um, and yeah. I, I appreciate that about it. Even if I wish they made it a little scarier and less just sort of like an Indiana Jones type of film, yeah, like I mean, a very I, straightforward sort of one. And I think the only other movie um, that's a remake of the, like, the universal monster movies that has at all um, to this level. I think the um, 2010 Wolfman, I think, um, does a good job of reinterpreting the character in a different way. Uh, I, I actually did like it. You know, I, there, there are parts of that movie that are very cheesy, but I think, you know, going from the original Wolfman, which is in um, what, probably my top five favorite movies, it is a very interesting how do you turn this movie that's pretty dry and very little action into an action horror movie and i thought you know they did a good job with that so you know it is possible to do these universal movies it just seems to be very rare that they're able to figure it out well i don't i don't think that that wolfman remake is an action horror movie i think it is like a horror movie i mean there's actually yeah it's kind of what i was thinking of where it's it is it's like a beefed up version of the original wolfman Whereas something like The Mummy, The Mummy is sort of like a whole new film and a whole new genre compared to the original. And I I appreciate that they were willing to have the vision to take that sort of leap with it. Sure. Yeah, but The Wolfman, I mean, I think it it succeeds in what you're saying, Wasson, at an aesthetic level. I mean, they add more chase scenes and then the final fight scene is what I'm like referring to more than you look at the original one, you don't really see him t- for the majority of the movie as the wolf man. And then the climax is his father beating him to death, which is a very powerful for that arc. But you know, they turn it into more of an action-y thing with this. Well, I, well, I think Jacob said it best. They beef it up. Yeah. You know, but, and it's a shame because that could have been the start of the dark. If that was the start of the dark universe, I think it would have had a much better chance than what we got. And I know like, supposedly Dracula Untold was potentially like they weren't committing either way to if that would have been the beginning of the monster reboot. I think, um, I think had Universal been smart, they would have gone like the way of the original Iron Man where it's not until the end of the movie that they set up that it's supposed to be part of a cinematic universe. Just like, just keep releasing these horror movie reboots until you find one that works and then say, this is where it's starting from instead of betting all the eggs on Tom Cruise. Uh, I want my doctor yeah, to but, uh, Crow. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much my, my thoughts on The Mummy. Uh, you know, I like it. I just, uh, I always wished it was a little scarier. Yeah. So let's talk about Brendan Fraser as a person now. Oh God, that's going to take hours. No, um, I think we can wrap up now. So I think um, 
And again, since we're not going scene by scene, we don't need to go for the full two hours. I mean, we did an hour and a half, so. Um, all right, I'll wrap it up. So, all right, well, again, guys, um, thank, oh, sure. so uh, thank you for bearing with us as we're trying something new. We hope you liked um, a more just general discussion. Uh, we will be going back to scene by scene commentaries at some point um, if we can figure out the technological gap between us. But, you know, until then, we hope you've enjoyed this and continue to stick around for more Stephen Summers when we do The Mummy Returns next week. Bye. So long. Look forward to me not picking the, the next few movies, guys. Have a good one. <laughs> <laughs> September will be your month, Jake. Uh, I eagerly wait in anticipation, along with no one else. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you weren't here at the beginning when we were talking about it. Uh, we were talking a little bit about it um, with Jason Ritter <laughs> um, requesting um, Return to Zombie Island. I think we will do that for the first one in September because that actually was, um, that actually will be the one year anniversary starting in September of us doing that. So I think that'll be a um, appropriate movie to do. Can we, so. can we cut that last part out? What the part about us watching return to zombie Island? Can oh, we I, cut that? I, st I stopped recording. I'm just, like, this is just us talking now. Oh, I, should stop oh I thought you were actually putting that in there. Oh no, no. I was no. making a joke for the commentary. Oh no, sorry. We can stop recording.